0: Welcome everyone to Life Outside of Software with Jimmy Cerrone. Today, we're talking about incentives. And really what we're trying to do is understand the hidden ones that we may not see that really help us understand who is winning in a situation, right? I think a lot of times we talk about both sides and I think the key to getting out of that mentality is understanding incentives. So we're gonna take a look at it from the perspective of a company that's done something really unfortunate, from the culture war and trying to understand it better and finally by looking at the definition of wealth and how we might redefine it to to better capture what we want so let's start by talking about better dot la published a great article called what does the better scandal mean for the future of virtual healthcare i'm just going to read a quick quote to kind of discuss and get it going so the quote is the company has now come under fire for improperly sharing its customers sensitive personal data with outside platforms, including Facebook, Snapchat, Crédio, and Pinterest. This week, the FTC banned the company from all such activity moving forward, fined them 7.8 million and demanded changes and how better help handles customer data. So I find this really worrying, right? I work in digital advertising and I think in general, the idea of an open web, which is free articles with advertising is a good thing. Right, And on the web, I think it does struggle, but in general it works. This is an example of it going really, really wrong. And I think the incentives we're seeing here are that the FTC doesn't have enough power to enforce this, right? We'll see what happens after this. I think BetterHelp, there's some reputational damage that will occur, but for perspective, I think BetterHelp cleared more than a billion dollars last year in revenue. And they got a $7.8 million fine. So, unless there's reputational damage here and consumers choose differently, this is not going to change necessarily their behavior, right? And there's a lot of other examples, GoodRx being one of them, where really great brands, really strong brands, made decisions that seemed to go against their customer promises. And the reason they did so is the incentives were aligned to do so, right? If you could appear to be a really customer focused private company, but also sell data on the side because the Federal Trade Commission is not enforcing legislation properly, you would do that, right? And so I found it really shocking and really sad to see this. And I think it goes to show we need better guidelines. We need to really help companies align their incentives with their goals, right? Uh, A prescription drug company should not be trying to sell consumers data. They should be trying to sell primarily prescription drugs, right? And hopefully at a good price and in a reasonable way. So this is all about aligning incentives. We want to prevent folks from even having the opportunity to think about these misaligned incentives for their customers. And that's where I think the Federal Trade Commission is right to step in here. We'll see if the reputational damage is enough because the monetary fine is is certainly not. Next, we're going to talk about culture war i think this is one of the most interesting articles i've read in a while it's called the culture war con from a newsletter i really like called webworm and i'm going to start off just with a quote from it there's no easier way to generate headlines on every website and talk show than to make some vaguely woke adjustment to your product even if most of the commentary devolves into spittle flecked rage being on the front lines of a culture war doesn't come with any downsides liberals will happily buy your updated offerings while conservatives will snatch up their boy and girl potatoes to own the lips The important thing is that everyone pays." This is a really cynical look at the culture war, and I'm actually starting to think it's accurate. right? If we look at this in the context of the Dominion case against Fox News, I think what we're seeing is something really interesting here. The culture war is a net negative for each side. I think that folks on each side get so obsessed about whether they're winning or not, that they miss the fact that someone is benefiting from their continued fighting. Right, so I think this is a question I just wanna ask going forward is who's winning? And I think right now it's clear that neither the left nor the right is winning. We're struggling to come to decisions, we're struggling to make good policy and none of us are really thriving. And so the real question is who's winning? And I think that's really interesting to start to ponder that and think about what are the incentives here and who is creating them and enabling them, right? I think when we're really upset and we're really um, focused on an enemy, we become really easy to manipulate. That's just something I want us to think about. I think it's really important. But the next distinction, which I think is maybe less important, but more clarifying and more interesting on an individual level, is this article from Kevin Kelly called Self-Generating Money Versus Productive Wealth. And I love Kevin Kelly. I highly recommend checking out the stuff he writes, but I'm gonna start with a quote it's actually from a separate philosopher that's linked in the article, but this is what it is. Why does a certain obvious distinction not figure more centrally in economic theorizing, namely the distinction between the application of capital in order to increase the capital itself and its application in order to achieve something worthwhile in the world? Or simply, why do we not distinguish between using money to make money or using it to do meaningful work? I think I started to think about this concept when I was working at Atomic Object. The founder there, Carl Erickson, has a really interesting philosophy where he's trying to kind of start companies that try to do good in the world. And he started with Atomic Object and then rolled that money into uh, a sawmill in Indiana. And I think it's a really interesting example of, instead of just socking away the money, that he used on the sawmill, he actually turned it into another productive asset that provides jobs and um, sustenance for lots of people and produces actual products. And I think this is another case of aligning our incentives. Like what kind of world do we want to live in? We want to live in a world where all of us have productive, meaningful work and we live in a state of abundance, right? And I think when we think about incentives, making money from making money, like making money for money is not, as productive in the world, right? It leads to economic bubbles. You can read about that in The Black Swan by Nassim Taleb. I think a really interesting question to consider personally is what am I optimizing for? Am I trying to make money for my money? Or am I trying to make money by doing meaningful work? And what does that mean? I'm still struggling to figure it out myself, but I think it's a really helpful question to think about when you're maybe stuck between two different opportunities, Is really considering, how to spend your money wisely and what that means. Um, I'd love to hear what you think about self-generating money versus productive wealth. It's something I will be thinking about for a while. So that's it kind of with big incentives. I want to just talk about a couple other things I found interesting this week. So next up is Benedict's newsletter. This is one of my favorite things to hit the inbox each week. It's a range of tidbits from all around the web. This week I found it really interesting to hear about Amazon's ad business. Most of us think of it as a store online and it is one, but it also has a huge computing business with AWS and a growing advertising business. So let's just dive into a little quote here to get the gist. The simplest way to look at the advertising business is a very profitable new business. $38 $38 billion is a small percentage of Amazon's overall $502 billion 22 revenue, but it probably had well over 50% operating margins, which would mean it brought in as much operating profit as AWS and without anything as much CapEx. So that's a lot of jargon, but basically it says that Amazon's ad business is as big as their Amazon web services business, which is one of their core drivers of growth and, and profit. So this is really something to keep an eye on. I think... The author also talked about how this is bigger than, I think, all of print advertising combined. So Amazon is really making some interesting moves. And I'm curious to see if Andy Jassy will actually be succeeded by Jeff Bezos, kind of in a similar situation at Disney. It'd be very interesting to see what's going to happen there. But this ad business is really promising, though also a little scary to think about when we reference the better help from earlier, right? Amazon just bought one medical and they've said that they will not cross-reference customer data from their from the new medical side to their consumer side, and we'll see. I'm very nervous about that. But the last article is a really beautiful one called That Which Is Unique Breaks. I'm a sucker for good writing and this one has it. Here's just a quick um, blurb from it. That Which Is Unique Breaks. When finished objects become commodities, they break too, but they're easily replaced but when unique breaks, we might mend. And I think there's a question in here towards the end that just asks, what are you mending? And I think it's kind of going back to this idea of self-generating money versus productive wealth. Sometimes we get so focused on efficiency that we forget about meaning. And so one of my friends and I, we, we started this conversation just kind of asking each other, what are you mending? And thinking about that is really interesting because I find when I reflect, And when I've mended things and improved things, it feels so incredibly meaningful. So I just want to ask you, um, what are you mending? For me, it's my car right now, or my partner's car more accurately. It just hit a hundred thousand miles and we're trying to take really good care of it to get it to 200,000. So we're doing all we can to get it set up for the next chunk. Now I want to talk a little bit about books I'm reading and then the idea of the week and we'll be done. So, i just wrapped up wide sargasso sea by gene reese it is a very interesting prequel to jane Eyre*, and it's really interesting because it was actually written after jane Eyre* was published what i really love about it is that it takes this perspective that's kind of hidden in pride and prejudice and other books from that era which is where does all this money they have come from and centers where that money comes from right so this is like The era of colonialism and you don't see that in pride and prejudice but you do see that really deeply in wide sargasso sea and you see all the pain and the struggle that comes with it it's a really sad book it's in some ways confusing because the storyline is so tragic it's hard to accept but well written and short i highly recommend it next up i'm reading harvest of an empire i stalled in my progress here as i dove into *Wide sargasso sea but this is really a great look into the evolution of latin america and one of the areas of history i'm really fuzzy on is basically the 1800s through the 1860s in the united states and you have so much going on there the war of 1812 the mexican-american war and you know also you have the war of mexican independence there's just so much happening and harvest of an empire talks about that in addition to to much else one little tidbit i've loved so far is the understanding of uh spanish culture versus british culture slash you know um more western european culture and i guess northern european culture was the way that land passed down so in the u.s the early u.s in the north part of america land was divided among children And so that led to a lot of speculation, which we still see today, whereas in Latin America and South America, it was passed down to the eldest son. So parcels of land, instead of shrinking like in the United States, got bigger over time because they accumulated. So I think that's a really small difference that really adds up over time in an interesting way. Now, finally, I'm reading Democracy in America, which is a weird resonance with Harvest of an Empire because Democracy in America talks about America as this... You know empty wasteland and completely neglects to talk about the people that are centered in harvest of an empire or white sargasso sea so i've been finding it really interesting from a political perspective but it's also really interesting to just get a glimpse into the mind of europeans at that time and americans at that time to understand just how little they thought of the people who inhabited the land before them so with that that leaves us with idea of the week now This week's idea is that review and reflection are efficient. A lot of times the first thing to go when I'm really stressed and busy is reflecting and reviewing. And recently I've been prioritizing it more. And I've found this deep sense of peace and this exceptional sense of being on top of it. And it's been a huge time investment, but it's paid off incredibly well. I capture more things. I adjust more quickly. And I'm trying to change my mindset into thinking that, Um, some time to review and reflect is actually very efficient even though it doesn't feel like I'm getting stuff done. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. If you have an article you really enjoyed or have some ideas especially about self-generating money versus productive wealth, please reach out to me. Thank you so much.